Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Graham McMillan and I are joined today by powerhouse Chloe Maviel to talk a ton of non-comics pop culture. For example, the second season of Ted Lasso, the recent film adaptation of Dune, the amazing hot mess that is Malignant, and Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch. And after that 90 minutes of mighty chat, Graham and I mull over the Superman run of Brian Michael Bendis, the books of Tom King, and much, much more in this 2.25-hour podcast. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Hi, Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, you sound more and more Muppet-like every time we talk. Oh, thank you, I try really hard! <laughs> Hi, Jeff! Oh, oh, Graham, hello! My, oh, I'm totally confused, who was that I was just talking to? Your worst nightmare, Jeff! <laughs> Frank Thierry's on the call with us? <laughs> Oh, boy. Jeff Lester. Yeah. <laughs> and for like an hour, uh, Chloe's here as well. Yeah, hi. An, an hour? What? We're not getting the full Chloe Maviel experience? Well, you may remember there's a, a new dog, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you may remember there's also a nine-year-old. I, yes, yes, I remember both of those things. Are you saying they're going to be guesting <laughs> for the second hour? If you, if you... <laughs> If you combine both of them, you get a horrible black hole of chaos uh, that this is giving me exactly one hour of escape uh, from. Oh, gosh. About comics. And then there's there's like, you know, a bedtime for a nine-year-old that has to be handled. Right, right. So, so yeah, you get get an hour. An hour, Jeff. So, like, plan. Plan accordingly. Like... I, I I count myself lucky. Um, admittedly, it's hard for me to plan in the moment. It's also hard for me to plan ahead of time. So I mean, that's really it's hard for me. you to plan ahead of time when we literally spring this on you at the start of the call. Yes, oh, needs it. We'll freewheel it. It'll be killer. <laughs> that's that's I, so the spirit. Use that as a segue and be like, I'm talking of malignant. <laughs> <laughs> You may or may not remember, Jeff, that we were, well, originally Chloe was going to be on at the start of the month, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were going to talk about Malignant because it's nuts and because it's a film that all three of us have actually seen. Yes. Yeah. I'm super excited that you guys finally saw it. It's crazy, right? Oh, wait, but I'm sorry. Did we also want to talk about the other things or were you setting Were you setting up our oh, no, agenda no, I, here? I, like, we're going to talk about Malignant. We're going to talk about Dune. What else are we going to talk about? Because we did have a list. You know, I mean, it, uh, those two definitely. I think I sort of wanted to inquire uh, about solicit Ted Lasso thoughts. I suppose since we just finished uh, season two oh, a couple did? of nights ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, also, you're going to have both of us nagging you to watch for all mankind. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, uh, it is it is very good. I'll just get this out of the way, first of all. Imagine Mad Men for the space program, but better. And also, for the season finale of season two, 
the most tense television show either of us have watched. We both cried. We both cried. We're adults, and we cried about a NASA show. Wow, that's yeah, pretty for impressive. Real. Both of us genuinely teared up at one point. Wow. Huh, okay. That sounds very good. Do you uh, want to cry, Jeff? <laughs> I... I I'm, ready for a good cry. I, I think I think I'm ready to stop crying, Chloe. I gotta say, it's it's 2021 has been a hell of a year, and I think it would be sort of pleasant to have a non a non crying day option. But no, 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 no. That actually sounds great. Um, you know, it's it's no Col- Colette, but uh, but it sounds great. <laughs> Colette, which which we made through. I mean, you made through like maybe five minutes before being like, "No, this is terrible." What? What? Is Colette not the Sparks film? Annette. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, Annette. We're both like, we're, oh you're sorry, not wrong. names. Yeah, it's Annette. She's right. It's called Annette. You've seen that movie, Bill? You've seen that, <laughs> that movie, Jane? <laughs> wow, an hour flies, Chloe. This has been great. <laughs> Uh, but we we made it through like Chloe made it through maybe five minutes of a net before going. This is pretentious bullshit. I'll see you later. I'm, that... here for, I'm here for the Sparks Brothers and otherwise the rest of this can just get fucked. I don't have time. Oh. I was like no, I bet it's gonna get better. And then I made it through the second musical number and then I was done too. Oh, good for you because I went through that entire fucking thing and it was. Oh man, that was not great i gotta say it was really fun watching people like kind of lose their minds about it on twitter but here's the thing they also lost their minds uh on twitter about malignant and that's the right call you know what i mean yes, like i was gonna say i hope i hope you're not gonna badmouth malignant a film that was genuinely uh i was gonna say stunning but stunning is putting it the wrong way surprising in that it felt like they continually made the wrong choice in the right way oh I think that's a that's an excellent description of it. I love that movie. I saw it. I of course wanted both of you to see it. I sort of figured that that um, I kind of figured that Chloe might get more out of it or appreciate it more a little bit. But I really am just so glad you both. What I love about I've it. been trying to run backwards with my <laughs> facing the other directions for months. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. What? Malignant is the trailer made it look like one type of film, and you got maybe a minute into the actual Malignant where you're like, that isn't this sort of film at all. This is a 1980s shit film. I love it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. The prologue was super necessary. That that first 80, you know, like you said, 80s shit movie vibe in the prologue before the title sequence was really super necessary because I think if they hadn't done that, the rest of it seems like the movie that the trailer's looking at, but also kind of super ineptly done. And so you really don't... It's really hard to figure out what the fuck you're watching. And thank God that that opening few minutes where you're just like, what the fuck, is just sets <laughs> the tone so perfectly for the rest of it. It's... Um, it's really an impressive achievement. Like, and I think it, it's, you know, I haven't really, I was especially curious because you guys have seen 
a re- prestigious, prodigious number of movies, non-prestigious movies. Like you're, you're <laughs> over two hundred. Have you hit two fifty yet? Will you be hitting two fifty? No, we're, we're easily, but we're at we're at two twenty right now. Wow, two like the holidays are coming up, and I haven't even gotten to watch Thanksgiving yet. So. <laughs> For people who don't know, because I can't remember if you and I talked about this off the podcast or not, Chloe and I had an, an, a target of 200 movies this year, of watching 200 movies together this year. And he didn't think that we could do it, and then we hit it by like October September, 5th, like, yeah. like the end of September, early October. Man. And I'm like, you fool. You. And then, you're, then you're like, now it's horror month. Yeah. Let's do this. So, Hooray. yeah, we've, we've, we've finally got there. I, there. There's so many, but with with Malignant in particular, there's so many things that it wants to be. Um, I know I said it on Twitter, and I saw a ton of other like big like horror fans say it on Twitter, but like it was very uh, it was very Basket Case, which mm. is also kind of a like split personality, not quite serial killer stab stab, haha. But also, it turns into John Wick in the last twenty minutes. <laughs> Which is just a revelation. Yeah. yeah. I could not, I could not cope with, I would, I. I you were really happy. I, so I have not seen Basket Case and I am not the horror fan that she is, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I spent, before like the reveal, the quote unquote reveal, I spent a long time going, I've got the twist. I've got, she's a split personality or, you know, I, I okay, it's this. And then when the actual twist came, yeah, I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I. Happy. Oh yeah. God! I just couldn't stop, like, just gasping with joy. Yep. It's yep. just you don't you don't here, and I couldn't for the longest time. I was a little disappointed because I couldn't figure out if. Um, forgive me because I can't remember the director's name off the top of James my head. James Wan. James Wan. Okay, so I, I couldn't figure out if he was uh, intentionally doing this as like a hyper camp, like overacted. 1980 shit show or if he was very much trying to take it seriously and regardless it ends up just being fantastic you can look at it from both perspectives and it's just fine don't forget he made aquaman he did make aquaman that also was just like a was was pretty like 1980s calm in a lot of ways oh definitely and 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 i think actually because of Aquaman, I was like, okay, I really have to give Malignant, you know, a shot. And and so, you know, I mean, the thing about Aquaman, of course, is that for me, it's um, more awful uh, in a lot of ways uh, <laughs> than Malignant. But it also Aquaman's, is... Aquaman's kind of a mess in a different way, right? Yeah, right. Because Aquaman wants to be like a successful superhero film. And Malignant just wants to be shit. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I guess I think that's I think that's I the closest I can come to to co-signing is yeah, I guess I guess that's basically right. I think James Wan would have been more than happy to make Aquaman like kind of even loonier uh, and perhaps crappier, but because I mean. Because it's a DC expanded universe movie, 
they were like, sure, you know, we got to have space for Willem Dafoe and Nicole Kidman. And, you know, I really I did. Play drums, the giant. No, it was an octopus. Get it right. Oh, it was. You're right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. As well, they should. <laughs> we're very like, I'm no, get it right. Well, because it's a classic shout out, the, the octopus on the drums, you know? Is it? Yeah, it is, isn't it? That's the that's um that's Topo playing the drums, isn't that like taken from the end of the Aquaman cartoon or something? I do. I, I honestly have no there's idea. There's lots of there's lots of look, there's lots of octopuses playing drums. They got enough <laughs> arms, okay? Yeah. It's, it's thanks, oh, Roy. Oh my god, now I want like a supercut of of just octopuses and movies playing drums. That absolutely that would, would be. Yeah, yeah, someone has to do that. Yeah. That would be the best. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I just love the fact that Malignant... So, anyway, Aquaman is great for me, I think, because... But ultimately kind of a style over substance. And one of the things that's fun about Malignant is is that... Um, I don't know. <laughs> like, it, it just... I don't know. Yeah, everything somehow meshes in a way that... I, that is such a weirdly difficult tone to do intentionally, I think. Um, Cause you either just fuck it up or you're like, nobody with a lick of sense would try and do that deliberately. But James Wan's like, yeah, no, no, I can't wait. And it was so good. I really did enjoy that movie. Um, uh, so I'm so glad we got to talk about it. And, and it's kind of amazing that, I don't think that movie would have been made, certainly not the way that it was made, um, you know, if Aquaman hadn't made a kajillion dollars. Did you watch the, because you watch an HBO, right? Yeah. On mm-hmm. HBO Max. Yeah. Did you watch the, the extras on HBO Max they had for it? No, I don't think so. No. Because they had like two or three, you know, two minute videos of James Wan really self-importantly being like, you know, what's great. I'm really pushing horror into new new direction with this one. I'm really I'm really pushing and and trying to do something that no one's ever done before. And I genuinely couldn't work out if he thinks that's what he was doing or if he was like doing Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be the latter. I think so. It it wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me because I feel like after the movie has come out, he's given a few interviews and he is, you know, he's really coming from the right place. I think in that sense of he talks about, you know, malignant is in many ways, his love letter to the video stores that he grew up in and just perusing the horror movie shelves and just, you know, getting some weird fucked up shit you know what i mean and i think he really that was his that was his mandate but that being said i also do think that it's been a long time since there's been a movie that's kind of that unrepentantly trashy um like done so well i think i i don't know i mean Jeff, you say done so well, but here's the thing: we watched the sneak, like the sneak peek and whatever, in the interview with with him, mm. uh, you know, before watching the actual movie, and he's like, "I'm taking horror to a new level. This is going to open, you know, open the eyes of tons of horror fans and all this stuff." And then in the movie, this the the main character is talking to her sister, who is clearly only maybe one or two years younger than she is. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! And, 
And she tells her younger sister, mm-hmm. like she drops the bombshell out of nowhere, I was adopted. And my first thought was, man, she's only she's only a couple of years older than you. Like like if and, and she knows that like she was she was older when you came around, so did she right. just think that you appeared out of fucking nowhere? <laughs> yeah. young she didn't know how kids came about she was like yeah mom and dad go to the store and they come back and there's a kid yeah you know the stork brought a a 10 year old child yeah no it's i mean there's all that there's i don't know there's so much that's great and fun and loopy and insane about that that film um uh right oh i guess the other thing that's great about it was it did allow the two of us for like days afterwards just to be like you know some 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 happens. Is it malignant? <laughs> because malignant is such a great title and such a great yeah. word, and to drop it into conversation is a joy. <laughs> well, that that is good to know. It's good to know it enriched your life, uh, much the way that uh, Dune seems to have enriched the lives of a whole bunch of Gen Zers who missed out on prime seventies and early eighties weirdness. <laughs> so. Dune was good. I'm sorry, man. Dune was cool. I loved it. I totally loved it. I have to say that with a huge qualifier, which I feel someone my age and, of course, with supposed nerd credentials, is I never read the Dune books. And I might have been the only member of my family that had not read the Dune books. Like, even my mom. Be Be happy. Live your life. You're, you made the right decision, truly. <laughs> well, I mean, I sort of... I've read the first one, and it was a fucking slog. It yeah. took me, like, six months. <laughs> when I, I was it. like When I was, like, 18 years old, I decided to try and read Dune, and it took me forever. And yeah. it was, like, it was just, it was too much. It's, it's extraordinarily overwritten. And I know that I will get absolutely flayed by some, like, side fine nerds for saying that but it was entirely fucking overwritten that being said everybody that i have ever talked to says that books like three through five are exceptionally cool and very horny so you know right right yeah <laughs> you're like that's what i want in my science fiction <laughs> that's what i'm here for <laughs> i get it i totally get it but yeah i like dune and weirdly this is going to sound crazy it kind of reminded me of malignant <laughs> Um, just because I think both of those movies, for me, part of the pleasure was textural, you know what I mean? Like, there was a lot of, I just love how both those movies were presented, and their obvious aesthetic, and so when there were times, because I mean, let's face it, Malignant, it's it's hard to be emotionally connected to it. You spend a lot of time being your, you know, kind of like, what the fuck am I watching? And 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 at, is it on purpose? You know. And then <laughs> and Dune, I think, it, weirdly enough, I found myself just incredibly, un, I mean, unsurprisingly, really emotionally disconnected from the movie. But that kind of like malignant in no way impeded my enjoyment of it and may well have heightened it i'm not quite sure you know i, I thought dune was just i i think i think i'm agreeing with you but i think dune was just technically this beautiful film to watch yeah 
Yeah. Like I think so much of it. I think the the visual choices, I think the sound choices yeah. were really really smart. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. story wise. I mean, it was Dune. Um, it was much more straightforward, of course, than than the than the Lynch film, which I, I have a really big soft spot for. You love um, the Lynch film. I, think I, it's just, I don't know why. It's such a wreck, <laughs> and that's what makes it so fun. Like it just it just is. But um, the you, but, didn't, you didn't see it in the theater when you were like no, impressionable. Um, I had a Paul Moody action figure. Of course you did. That makes sense. Oh, that's Uh, the cutest uh, fact that's going to come out tonight. I had a Paul Moody action figure. Wow. It was one of, I could be much remembering, and someone who's listening to this will know. I think it was one of those action figures who had an action. Do you know what I mean? Like the the superpower toys where it's like, they punch because you squeeze their legs together. I think it was something like that. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it was. I just remember... I was really excited about that film before it came out because I liked Star Wars. Right. And I was I went to see it in the theater and I did not understand it and I was bored and I was also weirdly creeped out by it. Oh Nonetheless, yeah. I still had a fucking action figure for it. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, getting back to your love for this film that creeps me out when I was like yes. 10. Um <laughs> Like it's 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 not the same, and I think it, I think that a lot of uh, like movie nerds and honestly Dune nerds too, uh, comparing the two, it's an unfair comparison because they are two entirely different fucking movies, like entirely different. Oh yeah. But yeah. One thing I really loved about the the remake, um, and people keep criticizing Villeneuve for using so many neutral colors. Dude loves to use grays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blacks, whites, and and beiges. Like, that's just his jam. Mm-hmm. You can look across all of his filmography, and it's just really drab. Mm-hmm. And one, that's just a stylistic choice, so eat a dick. But also, it's... I think what he what he actually does really well, and you can see this in Dune in particular, is he's great with lighting, and he's great with texture. Yeah. Everything might have a really terrible coloring that you don't like because it's very, like... Uh, very, very beige and very brown, but we're in the desert, so perhaps that makes sense. Oh, totally, totally. You know, but, but mm-hmm. all of the, all everything has a has a texture to it. All of the um, like the the suits have a really cool texture to them. All of the the whole world of everything. There's teeny tiny little details where everything looks really heavily textured or there's a texture on a texture so right. even if you're not getting the color visuals your 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 eyes are still drawn to a lot of different things on the screen and i think it works out really really well oh yeah oh definitely and the choices to incorporate which makes so much sense like so much of that brutalist architecture in there was just like the f- just to me like the most perfect and fabulous choice because there's scenes where people are running through the corridors and of course the walls are kind of crenulated and and that color and it's just yeah no it it was just it's such a really smart movie in terms of his choices and like you said they're they're impossible movies to compare even though they're both adapting the same work because they you know unsurprisingly Villeneuve was wanted to go a different route and do different things with it. Um, but it also like, man, it hits different in 20, you know, just the fact of, uh, our ridiculously botched, um, withdrawal from Afghanistan, 
just is such an amazing context for this movie. You know, having people talk about, you know, sure, you're, you know, you're the next set of people that are going to oppress my people, but my people have been oppressed for generations. This is nothing new to us. That's in the villain version, and I don't really think that's in the Lynch version. Lynch has to rush through the story Mm -hmm. to fit into that movie. So much more information than the Villeneuve movie. Even though Villeneuve loves little more than, you know, visually beautiful, wonderful sound, but otherwise empty shots of nothing for a while to try and Mm -hmm. set the scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he loves doing that shit. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there's still so much more information in his film. Well, yeah. I mean, he, they, they very smartly, right? like, yeah, lopped the story in half. But, you know, I, I just feel that there are incredibly, like, different focuses. You know what I mean? Like, Lynch was so much into the phantomagoria, phantasmagoria of, of, the just building all that sets and all of that intricacy to to make it to make all the dreamlike stuff like pop and and make it all seem weirdly ultra grotesque which was fabulous Mm -hmm. but also like by the time you get to that movie and i mean i was older than you graham but i was sitting in that movie theater on opening weekend being like what the fuck? Boy, this was not a great choice. And somewhere <laughs> along the fifth or sixth time that the sandworm breaks through the surface of the planet in slow-mo, I was like, oh, 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 I've got it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it, the thing the thing that I kind of like about Dune, the book, not in a way that would ever make me read it, but... Um, <laughs> Is that there's such a there's it's such a post Lord of the Rings um, sci-fi movie in the sense of like it's big and also kind of the idea of like you're just going to jam all these obsessions into it. And so, you know, say what you will about Frank Herbert. The guy was like, I want to write about colonialism and I want to write about drugs because they are pretty closely tied in, in many ways. And I feel I'll be curious to see if the second part of Villeneuve's Dune does move to and bring that together. I sort of feel like, you know, he can't avoid it, but it's, I feel like with Lynch, um, to the extent that it's drugs or really, you know, it's clear that <laughs> David Horny for the Unconscious Lynch um, was really super into that as as a theme and about a way to make a ridiculously long science fiction epic about, you know, so. Horny um, for the Unconscious Lynch. I think that's how he's credited on Twin Peaks The Return, isn't it? Uh, it, I it, put that on a comment of his YouTube video where he reads the weather. Oh, yeah. You should. I mean, did you guys... You knew about that contest that he had about the... What was it? The the contest The he picked a female fan to put their panties in his mouth. Do you remember? Do you guys remember? Did you know about this? Why? Why? Why did I not know? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, it was through his, you know, because he kind of had his 
private. Like he and Prince were kind of like, I'm going to have my, you know, okay, yes. This sounds, this sounds like this is something you're making up. No, no, uh, no. We haven't and to... Prince held a contest. No, no, for... no, no, Graham. No, they did not. They, I just mean that like kind of in the early days of the internet, they were very much like, yes, you can join my personal club. <laughs> I'm really upset that I have David Lynch panties on my Google history now. Yeah, baby. Yeah, I know what you mean when you say upset. Uh, so panties contest. I swear I saw the video where... Okay, or, David Lynch remix well, panties in know. my mouth is the first thing. David Lynch puts a fan's panties in his mouth. She <laughs> won a contest for that. Same as, as the fan putting them in his mouth. What? Huh? Wait, I think if, you. If, I think if, you misheard there. Oh, did I? Yeah, I was about to I say, Graham. That David Lynch selected a female fan to themselves put their own panties in David Lynch's mouth. No, David Lynch was. She handed him her panties and he put them in his mouth. This is in 2008. I was of age. This would have worked out fine. Yeah, you know? What can I say? Um, I gotta say, like, okay, so where where were we at? Oh, right. So anyway, um, <laughs> I just wanted to say, although I don't have time, um, but I'm also hoping that similarly we can get enough traction so that Chloe's name officially becomes Chloe, quote, that's just a stylistic choice, so eat a dick, unquote, Maviel. Because that was also... I, I was thinking that was one of the most Chloe things to say. <laughs> totally! That's, That's just a stylistic a choice, so eat a dick. Yep. <laughs> oh, no. Editor yeah. of Neotech Tribune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's like when I have to send emails back to people when they turn in something really good, and I go, oh, great job, fuck yeah, go you, and then I... And then I send it and realize that that's not how people talk to each other. I mean, dude, they do. I mean, honestly, plus, you know, writers, they're starved for praise. Like, you don't don't have to. Yes, that's true. You don't have to dress it up, frankly. You know what I mean? Like, the crasser, the better. They're like, oh, man. She was so excited she didn't even bother to put on her big boy words for this email. That's awesome. I don't don't have those. (laughs) Um, It took everything in my power not to email a few people just being like, fuck you this week. So, but I didn't. And I'm very proud of myself. Jeff, do you want to know what movie I saw you talking about on Twitter (laughs) that I have a lot of questions? Oh, is it Sucker Punch? It was Sucker Punch, Jeff. Yeah. (laughs) Chloe, I got to say, I really would love to talk about Sucker Punch with you. Let's do this. (laughs) I'm just sitting back. Yeah. I'm just sitting back. Because I've heard both of you talk about Sucker Punch. And as someone who's never seen it, I think, A, both of you might have seen different movies. And B, I'm kind of excited and kind of terrified for what's going to happen. Right. You know what? You know what? You know what? Every time I think of Sucker Punch, I think of that Bjork song that's in there. Yes. Army of Me. Army of Me. That song rules. That's all. That's all I have to say. (laughs) You know. Come on. Say say your Sucker Punch thing. I was about to say, like, so far, your your taste. You have to say the thing you said to me about everyone you know that likes Sucker Punch. Oh, Oh, this is good. You can just say that you're horny. Like, it's okay. Yeah, like, you, you if you say I really liked Sucker Punch in public, you can just say I'm real horny, and that, that's, will... that's not what you said. I'm, no, no, <laughs> okay. 
Do you want me to say it? <laughs> oh, I do now. Believe me. You really don't remember? Jeff, I'm going to I'm gonna mute us now so I can tell her and she can decide whether or not she wants to say Oh, come up. on, Graham. No, that's not yeah, fair. No, for, for real. Talk amongst yourself, Jeff. You ready? <sighs> peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots. This is crazy. I can't believe that these comments get vetted have to get vetted before they're said on the podcast that's just outrageous does anyone think i vet my comments i mean and if you do what? okay all right huh? so okay so <laughs> your legal counsel has advised you yeah no it was more <laughs> i mean it's not untrue every <clears throat> every single person that i know uh within my peer group oh boy uh, who uh who liked sucker punch 100% came out as trans because they wanted to be the main character and how Ooh. hot and intense and kick-ass she was. Wow, so, really? Holy oh, smokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sucker Punch was like 100% like the calling for so many like amazing trans girls that I know. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. terrific. I, You know, well, so... Well, be really check in with me in a couple of years, I guess, you know. Um, so, Chloe, have you seen Inland Empire? Or Chloe and Graham, have you seen Inland Empire? No, I haven't. Okay. So, so I saw Inland Empire in, like many years ago. Uh, and uh, it always, you know, the great thing about David Lynch movies, they really stick with you, right? You know, and... Um, and unfortunately, I have this thing that is kind of this uh, odd delusion that I can watch David Lynch movies and walk out of them convinced that I know what he's talking about. And of course, that's, you know, clearly a mistake. But there's usually something that I walk out of from it enough that is sort of coherent enough that I'm like, yeah, this makes sense to me. This really is instructive this is something to think about the weird part about sucker punch which i put on as i was telling graham in part because i i had never seen it um and uh after Zack snyder's justice league and army of the dead i was like you know i should watch it i should why not you know it's like i can see it for free um you know i've got two weeks off of work you know let's sit down and watch it and yeah. Um, and also I think, and this was the other thing, part of the Zack Snyder-ness that I think I was going for for Sucker Punch was also for me being like, you know what, enjoying Dune and Malignant and movies where, where sort of, not to get too Nietzschean about it, whether they're good or bad is almost beside the point. Like, it's just more like what I want is something that is kind of, um, you know, on the screen enough to kind of really catch my eye. And if it's got something that will make me think, even in a what the hell is this person thinking, then I'm kind of down. So sure. so that's when I put it on. And like I said, I, I, Within about 15, 20 minutes, I was kind of like, this movie really reminds me of Inland Empire, which is really weird because they don't look or smell or anything like one another. It's just that within 20 minutes of Sucker Punch, 
you're more or less three story levels down. And that's more or less the way that it kind of happens within Land Empire, except there's there's sort of multiple characters and you spend a lot of the movie trying to figure out what their relationship might be to one another. And um and so I guess the thing that sort of struck me about Sucker Punch was it 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 struck me as a movie that was just the fact that that Zack Snyder made a big budget super ultra action film type thing that one of the things that he was riffing on or in conversation with was you know David Lynch's Inland Empire was to me like kind of wild and weird and as time went on of course there's just there's a lot that is in that movie that is about um exploitation uh and i guess for myself and this is perhaps unsurprisingly as you know a cishet dude is i'm pretty comfortable for the most part uh with um movies or material about exploitation that are that is itself exploitative you know what i mean it becomes a certain amount of uh recursiveness and it and it strikes me as more interesting like if you look at something like uh jack hill's switchblade sisters or something like mm-hmm. that you know or or um similarly his his black exploitation movies with pam greer you kind of mm-hmm. get that sense of it is simultaneously um playing the hits and and kind of undermining them at the same time so uh so i found that interesting within the course of sucker punch and i think part of what makes the movie i mean the movie's just a mess because i feel like zack snyder's you know a meathead i think is basically the the correct um kaye de cinema term for him um but you know but in between him trying to say something or the idea that he is trying to say something he just literally can't do it in a in anything other than a visual way um was interesting i think i mentioned this to graham i don't remember if it, if it was while we were recording or not but you know i was a big fan of um the the um marwin call the uh the set of photographs by this photographer that was also made into a documentary about his life and those are you know to recover from his um brain damage incurred in this horrible when he was beaten brutally outside a bar um you know he got a certain amount of uh therapy to help put himself back together and then he was more or less just discharged and left on his own so for part of his therapy he began building these super intense models um and taking action figures and and modifying them and and telling these stories about these women who come in and save him again and again and again from these horrible um beatings and tragedies and it's lots of it's lots of female action figures you know um slicing nazi throats and bombing out villages and things Mm -hmm. and so it was also kind of interesting to me the idea that that was 
if not something that Snyder was drawing from, it was this really amazing parallel. And of course, then there's a lot of stuff where it seems like he's very heavily talking about anime, you know, like just the visual influences that he's pulling from. Um, all of which is to say, yeah, I, I could end up being trans uh, for appreciating the movie, or maybe that's what it means. But gen generally, I think the... I didn't find it an especially sexy film, but what I did find, which I was not expecting from Snyder, was kind of a... It, 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 and I mean, it wasn't really like it was saying anything particularly new, you know, because it's kind of like, hey, you know, women are exploited. The way the story is set up, however, you find yourself being... Oh, and that's another thing, like... Robert Rodriguez's and Frank Miller's Sin City, you know, very much seem to be a focus of reference there. But it's very weird when you're sitting there high on the couch being like, well, the only thing I can kind of point that to is, you know, that particular miniskirt that that character is wearing or the way that one person is jumping in slow-mo and pulling swords out from behind their back. You know what I mean? So it's just... I don't know. I just thought, A, I liked it, and I also sort of feel like you have a soft spot for, for lack of a better term, or perhaps to use the Cahiers de Cinema term, um, weird shit, you know? But also failed weird shit, I guess, and I... And I mean, yes, that's, that's so, going in the Twitter bio, Jeff. <laughs> failed weird shit um here's the thing i i actually did not like sucker punch at all um right. you, i haven't revisited it in mm -hmm. a couple of years um mm -hmm. so maybe i should uh like but i i didn't like it only because you know i i think what you're saying about the visuals and about snyder drawing from a bunch of different influences um that much seems entirely obvious and and really like right up front. I don't think he's trying to to cover up the fact that this story and the way it's being told is a hundred percent from other places. Mm -hmm. But I thought the CG was just rough as balls, even for the um, even for the the period that it was like the time that it was being made in. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, what? I'm giving you a face because I'm, I'm just like, this was like a couple years after Sky Captain and the Worlds of Tomorrow, oh, which if yeah. you ever want to see some terrible CG, mm. and that was considered cutting edge at the time. That's true. But mm -hmm. uh, I just, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of feelings about visual effects that we do not have time to get into <laughs> on this. Um, but... I'm like, if they could do good effects for Jurassic Park in 1992. So, <laughs> but no, like, I thought the visuals were actually kind of lazy. Uh, and as much as I am all here for um, stories of, like, empowering women and why I understand people that say that the movie was degrading towards women and degrading towards sex workers, there's kind of a debate on, like, a lot of people I know, uh, a lot of people that I know got the message of like, oh, there's no difference between an insane person and a sex worker out of that movie, which I can I can kind of see, to be perfectly honest. So there's this argument in my head on like, OK, this was meant to be empowering and I can also see the, the degradation portion of it. But in the end, what bothered me the most about the movie is that it does neither. It mm. is so entire. It feels to me so entirely noncommittal to either thing. 
And I think Snyder has the potential to tell those kinds of stories if he really wanted to. But in the end, like, you're so busy seeing uh, the main character, Baby Doll, switching between, you know, being a stripper and being in this alternate reality, you know, kicking ass and, you know, all this other stuff. Um, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like uh, playing a fighter, playing a fighting video game. OK, mm -hmm. it, to me, it was like, OK, I just switched out characters and I don't get I, I, I felt like watching it that you don't get a moment to actually attach yourself to what the character is doing, what they're going through and who they are. Yes, because absolutely. You're not able to root yourself in either reality. Mm -hmm. Because you're getting the one reality that's that's purposefully degrading, and then you're getting this alternate reality that is supposed to counteract that and be empowering. And you spend so much time switching between both of them that you don't actually get a clear, solid um, message that you as the viewer can attach yourself to. And so I, I like the, the end of the movie, which is, uh, you know, relatively grim, is you just kind of land on it going, huh. Okay, well, what did what did that just say? What what was I meant to think about that? Mm -hmm. But I mean, I like I like pretty girls who fight things good. <laughs> <laughs> That's like there's one part of me that has this like like big thinky thoughts, which is the technical term for it. It goes it goes My next brain. to likes failed weird shit. Yes. Yes. Like, Weird shit on one side, and the other side is like, yay, fighty, pretty girls, woo, woo, woo. That's <laughs> it's both. Right. Um, on, like, I think that kind of is the concentrated version of the movie for me. It's it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I get kind of, I, I feel muddied on the subject. Are you upset because you want it to be better? I think it could have been better. Well, because some films, at least for me, you can't enjoy what's there because you're like, but there's a better version of this somewhere. And you get like annoyed at it. I would like to see Sucker Punch like re, like, uh, please, please. If a reboot the, of Sucker Punch? No, here's like, I can feel the monkey's paw fucking curling. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> as I say this, the monkey's paw curls. Um, Joss Whedon, Sucker oh, Punch. Just... <laughs> Jesus, I I would love to I would love to see a story like Sucker Punch, uh, told maybe from a, a a different director. Which is not to say that you know Snyder is the worst thing in the fucking world. He does what he does, and he does it for a particular audience, and for that audience, he does it really well. But I don't think that this was the I don't think that this was the story for him to tell. If that makes sense, I yeah. think this could have oh, been very a, much so. A yeah, little, and I a little bit that... more new, maybe a little bit more of a um. Uh, I can't think of a good way to put it. A little bit more of a subtle eye, mm -hmm. perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. I think. I, I oh, think. Uh, yes, sorry. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. It just made me think of um, what was that one movie that was also coming to I Kill Giants? Yeah, or something like that. If it were just done similarly to that, which is also a movie that in that uses a lot of CG, the and flips between and reality flips and between yeah. reality and a, and honestly, a really grim, bleak um. Uh, alternate world or vice versa. Sorry, take that, flip it, reverse it. Um, An alternate and, world and a grim reality. Yes, that one. Yeah. Uh, and I think that like that movie did that really well, and that was a horribly underrated uh, I really, comic movie. That I really, really like really that well movie. Well done. Um, but I think that that 
so, something like Sucker Punch being tackled by somebody who um, can can mesh uh, can either mesh alternate reality and and reality together a little bit smoother, or can make the line incredibly incredibly bold and different would be probably the way to move forward. But that didn't happen, and Snyder directed it, and it was okay. We're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, ain't nobody upset. There, there's a lot. There's a lot of room for improvement. Uh, to put it mildly, I also yeah. think that. Um, to me, oh right, because um, there was a strong showgirls influence uh, in in Sucker Punch that I also thought was really. Um, I important. thought it was uh, Well, yeah, but you know, I I I Which think worse. <laughs> wait, wait. So sorry, I I said so. You sorry. What was your choice, Chloe? Burlesque. Okay. The, one, the one with Cher and Christina Aguilera. Oh, that's a thing. Oh, yes. I hadn't. Oh, oh. No. thing. No, shut up. It's. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. In this house, you're not allowed standing in Cher at all. I watched Mermaids for the first time the other week. Do you remember when we watched uh, Mermaids and? The, no, the wishes of Eastwick back to back. Yeah. Wishes of Eastwick and mermaids back to back. Wow, that's some whiplash there. So burlesque. I mean, part of it is just. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'll have to try and. <laughs> anyway, I personally think that what I think is interesting about Snyder is is that he has the list of stuff or things that he thinks is cool or things that he wants to um, make. Um, and and he's not ideally suited for it. But yeah, Sucker Punch, I think, is supposed to be closer to, like, a Paul Verhoeven movie, you know? And I think it is supposed... But, but because there's a whole level of um, dishonesty to Snyder's work, I think is part and parcel of him being a, quote-unquote, popular um, filmmaker, uh, that he you know he does a lot of shit like you know like having scott glenn be this benevolent um you know deific guardian angel figure you know in a movie that's about the exploitation of women very specifically in the entertainment industries and so of course that is all too accurately represented um you know, by the role of Oscar Isaac, who resembles absolutely every Hollywood executive you've ever seen or met. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, it it suddenly it's, uh, among the various cheats that Snyder does, he's like, yeah, this is horrible. This is happening to women. They are being exploited. The whole system is designed to to just making women hope. Women's dreams are have a um, level of codification and imprisonment built into them by the people who control the system. It's like, oh, okay, and that that system's like the white patriarchy, right? He's like, no, 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 no. It's Oscar Isaac with like a style and thin mustache. Scott Glenn's the good guy, and it was like, uh, yeah, that's that's certainly my experience of society. Yeah, you know, so so there's that. There's a there's a bunch of things that are that 
are quote unquote wrong with the film, but I also do think that Oscar Isaac in the role that I'm supposed to feel bad about, and I can't because it's Oscar Isaac. Yeah, yeah. No, I know it's really weird when he pops up, and you're like, "Wait, what?" You know, accent from Midnight. Good day. Wait, was that you being authorized with the glitch accent? No. You sure? Because um, yeah. I'm just double yeah, checking. Yeah, that, that, that that's back to the Jason Statham that sounds curiously Australian. Oh, I want to hear that. Can I hear that? Wait, wait. Have we not done that on the podcast before? No. For real? We haven't? I thought we had. Yeah, yeah. Chloe has a, a Jason Statham impression, which is great mm-hmm. because it really just sounds like Jason Statham if he's doing an Australian impression. <laughs> I like it. I want She's to hear it. it. She's not going to do it. And instead, I'm going to pivot and say, Jeff, Ted Lasso, now that you finished it, you had problems with season two midway through. How do you feel now that it's done? Uh, I would say those problems have continued. There were things that I... Little bits and things that I liked about it. But... Um... What didn't you like? Oh, man. Like, problems. Well, so so okay. Do you guys want to do you guys want to hear my joke review? My it's just it's it's like all headline, no no okay, subhead. Cool. Yeah. Ted Lasso, Tad Lesso. Eh? It's a Tad Lesso. So anyway, season. <laughs> like, I, I like that you repeated it. That that was my favorite part of your joke. You guys were too quiet. It's Tad like you're Lesso. supposed to. Be... Did you get it? Uh, Ted Lasso, waka waka. Ted Lasso, Ted Ted Tad Lasso. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yes, I thought you might. Uh, yeah, no. I, so, so I mean, personally, I was at a certain point, which is to say, after I watched the first episode of the second season, I was like, oh shit, right. The first season of Ted Lasso is just this amazing, unexpected success. In some ways, it's because it hits at exactly the right time and gives everyone what they need, which is sort of a shot of optimism and hope. Sure. But it's it, it's also kind of, it's better than what you expect, but then you realize very rapidly you, you're not sure what you should be expecting. And, the, and then, you know, it, it has nine million amazing ways that it warms its way into your heart. Ted Lasso season two, understandably, is in a uh, shittier position because it's no longer a surprise or it's trying to give you what the first one had, which was an element of surprise, but it also wants to be familiar and comfortable. So, well, I mean, it, it's it's structurally got a problem for that very reason, right? Yeah. Like, Ted Lasso season one, I think, succeeds in large part because you don't really know what show you're watching until midway through. Right. Right. You know, because it's purposely set up that way is... God, I can't remember the name of the owner of the club. What's her name? Uh, Rebecca. Re- is, yeah, yeah. Is Rebecca, like, the villain of the piece? Is she not the villain of the piece? Like, what's her plan? Blah, blah, blah. Like, the, the first episode is the first season of Microcosm. Right. You think that Rebecca wants this, but she actually wants this. Right. You know, shocker. Right. Your second season can't do that. Right. Because you've seen the first season. You know what you're expecting. You tune into Ted Lasso for a particular thing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then they're kind of fucked. Right. Because you can't do another twist. Right. Like that. You know? Yeah, you can't do another twist. And I think part of the thing... Um... 
that is hard to pull off. And I feel like, for example, Parks and Rec hit hit this same problem is once you kind of pivot from all these characters are in conflict with one another to they sort of all become better people and become friends and appreciate each other. Where you go from there is kind of like there's, you know, basically it drives Edie nuts where essentially the conflict has to come from stupidity usually. And it's just sort of giggling idiot syndrome, basically. And there's a lot of Ted Lasso, the second season, which is just people saying things and other people laughing at what people are saying, kind of. Um, that to me is always a, a kind of a little bit of a, a red light warning sign. But for me, I think the thing that was hard was I was like, okay, I want it to be sweet. I get the fact that they are going to try and kind of mix it up and make things a little more complicated. Um, but it also in, they just didn't, for one thing, I think they barely had any time. So the season is just really rushed. In the writer's room, they made choices that were dumb, you know, that just where if they thought about it for five minutes more, they could have connected it. Like there's an, there's an episode where um, Coach Beard's on-again, off-again, on-again relationship is, is driving everyone nuts. And uh, Leslie, I forget his last name, um, which is ironic because everyone was calling him Higgins, um, is like, I've got to talk to, I've got to talk to him. I've got to say something. Everyone's like, don't do that. That's a huge mistake. You're making a huge, don't ever talk to, tell someone that they're doing wrong. Just go with it. And he's like, no, if I see something that is going wrong, a relationship that is a mess, I've got to say something. And, you know, this is from the guy who, you know, Rebecca pointed out in season one did nothing to help her actively mm -hmm. covered up her, mm -hmm. you know, Rupert's indiscretions and affairs and things. And she, she was understandably angry. Like, you know, you were supposed to be my friend and where were you during all of that? And, you know, at the time he has nothing to say now, again, with just a few extra minutes in the writer's room, somebody I think would have gone like, Oh, right he can't turn around and say, I'm not the type to let this happen. He's got to be the sort of person who's got to say, I let this happen with Rebecca. It caught, it practically cost my friendship with her and I've hated myself ever since. So I have to say something. And then suddenly it's back on, you know, the same track, I guess. But when it happened, I was just like, wait, what? You know, kind of that, that like, have these writers watched this show before? So <laughs> that was hard for me. I feel like the whole, uh, and I guess this is full on spoilers for everyone for season two of, of Ted Lasso, the um, romantic entanglement between uh, Sam and Rebecca um, felt really forced uh, for me. Like they spend all that time setting stuff up on, um, the banter, the all text uh, site that 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 she is that the two of them are flirting on without knowing who the other person is, and of course there's a couple of good fakeouts because it seems like it might be Ted, and you're like, oh no, that'd be exactly where they where you think they would go. There's some other choices that would be unappealing, but would make more sense within the terms of what they're doing. 
But suddenly it's like, oh yeah, it's Sam and Rebecca. And I'm like, okay, I like both of those actors and I like what they can do. But I get the sense that they're just here kind of like, you know, because it gives both of them something to do. You know what I mean? So I kind of, for me, there was just a lot. And uh, I don't, I'll be honest too, maybe it's just weird um, professional jealousy or the discomfort of seeing someone too close to yourself on the screen and you don't like yourself. But like, I don't really like the Coach Beard character. I don't really think that that actor is... um, interesting at all i feel like he's got the charisma of a paper bag so like that whole episode that is basically you know a half hour version of after hours that is his journey um i was like really i mean there's bits and pieces that were done well and again it's kind of like that throughout the season there's bits and pieces that were done well there were bits and pieces that just seemed kind of bad and slapdash and and it also all kind of very much seemed like I mean, all the stuff with Nate, which is the other major subplot moving through the season, makes no sense in part because Coach Beard has to be omniscient and know everything. And yet he also has to choose to do nothing and say nothing um, in the face of of this escalation so that by the time that it gets too late, it's just way, way, way too late. So I don't, I, you know, a a certain amount of admiration for what they were doing and, and they were in a really thankless spot, but I, I really kind of thought that they, they whiffed so much of that where it's like, if they weren't getting by on the charisma of, you know, Brett Goldstein playing Roy Kent, I just felt like a lot of stuff just kind of dragged to the dirt. So, I mean, it was pleasant enough as a way to watch, but it wasn't like that, like, sub- sublime feeling after finishing the first season of, of Ted Lasso, you know? Well, one of the big differences I, I thought between the two seasons was kind of similar to what you were saying. And mind you, I, I liked the second season fine. It wasn't uh, groundbreaking and spectacular for me, mm-hmm. but I didn't hate it by mm-hmm. any means. Um, uh, and But the big difference is it was very much um, – season two was much more of uh, – each episode was little vignettes mm-hmm. of – each character or each uh, like sub character group was mm-hmm. going through, or like what internal battle you know people were going through, like Ted having to go through therapy and the therapist having to work through her own shit in order to help Ted, and like mm-hmm. all of those little things that somehow like in the larger picture meant to be everybody kind of going through the same thing. But season one very much did the. It's everybody against everybody. There's internal conflict everywhere. How will they, you know, adjust? And mm-hmm. season two, everybody has adjusted and has now broken off into these subsections where they have to work out individual problems. And and I can see why that created some, like, uh, fractioned pacing issues, to say the least. Yeah. Well, like, for example, the, the scene that is uh, Rebecca's dad's funeral is i mean that episode is again kind of nine kinds of a mess in part because they just didn't have they tried to set up the stuff with the mom they didn't want to cast some 
pay an extra actor to to have a dad in there which sort of makes sense you know there's all the thematic resonances but ultimately when you've got like rebecca and her friends like kind of screaming in the back room of the church about her new boyfriend or whatever at at her father's funeral i'm like i don't know like i I guess that was my thing is it felt very because because my goal in this episode uh, is to to compare everything to a David Lynch product. It was very season two of Twin Peaks for me, the second season of Ted Lasso. You know, like you're, it, you're, you're gonna really need to unpack. Yeah, you 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 prompted some some. What is he talking about? Eyes over here, has to say. <laughs> I have to say, I'm kind of glad that I don't get the eyes update when it's just you and I talking, Graham. Like you're oh just God, quiet, or you cut me like, off. But yeah, if I'm looking at you like this now. <laughs> okay i mean i, I kind of get what you're saying insofar as you know the or at least tell me if i'm right that characters are no longer acting like the characters they were previously and the situations seem less organic and more uh fictionalized more soap operatic yeah i think i think that's it i think that's it i also think that it's um to to take it a step further i feel that part of season two the problems with season two of twin peaks is that they had trouble trying to bring psychological depth to characters that were also designed purely just as forms of comedic or cartoonish shorthand i guess Mm -hmm. and so yeah either things don't work right or you have characters in the same scene it's it's like when nadine's lost her memory and she's back as a high school wrestler and she's like having sex with uh, Bobby Briggs's best friend. And I'm like, no one cares about Bobby Briggs's best friend. Like apparently you people do. And that's great. Dude, I double dog dare you to find anyone. Or if you can even say his name without Googling. I I feel like I've got a Twitter and Google his name. (laughs) Yeah. That's really, you do that. That's really unfair. You actually... no, 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 you keep talking. I wasn't really going to do it. Yeah, I know you are. All right, well, that's fine. Uh, Chloe, so have we? T- have I dragged this on too long? Are there things that you no, wanted okay. to talk about and or how much time do you have before you have to pull the plug and bail? Oh, probably like 15 more minutes, give or take. Oh, I Woo-hoo. think that's bold, but you go for that. <laughs> um, I, I'm just going to say very quickly about title soap before we move on. Like, I am... I, um, so disagreeing with you about uh, Coach Beard. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I like Coach Beard a lot, and I actually like that episode a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I am kind of fascinated by, unless I misunderstood what you're saying, you don't like Coach Beard because you think you are Coach Beard? Uh, I don't... I, well, how do I put it? I don't think that I'm Coach Beard because... But I, I just sort of meant as... A person with a big beard that is otherwise charisma-free, I would say that that is kind of my, you know, it's kind of my role. I'm kind of the 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 pretentious bearded sidekick to the affable person who's trying to teach us all to love one another. Graham, you see what I'm saying? Graham Lasso, right? Oh, I thought you were saying Edie. I thought you were saying Edie was the person who's trying to teach everyone to love each other, and I was like, that's really sweet. No, no. <sighs> Talk about missing the point. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was complimenting your wife. I know, I know, and it totally, totally put a two by four to me complimenting you, which is a classic Graham McMillan move. I shouldn't <laughs> even be annoyed about it. But Did you holy just your cow. toy, by the way? No. <laughs> I went, I was trying to compliment your wife, but she went, okay, now you compliment me. <laughs> <laughs> Chloe, I'm so sorry. My apologies. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, I for what it's worth, I personally thought capturing and immortalizing that's just a stylistic choice, so eat a dick, is... In its own way, a certain celebration it, of you. It's kind of the greatest gift. In this week yeah. of Thanksgiving, let's all give thanks for that. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> uh, see, now I'm curious. What? Wait, what title of character are you, Chloe? Me? Yeah. And he's just said he's Coach Beard. I feel I'm... like Roy Kent every day of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I knew she was going to say that, wait, of course. Do you feel like yeah. Roy Kent or do you feel like Roy Kent's niece? Uh... <laughs> Can I be both? I feel like if Keely and Roy were smushed together. Oh, that's true. If Keely and Roy were smushed together, that would be you. Yeah. Okay. That's really true. (laughs) But, yeah, it's the happy, like, general optimism, but also, like, I got yelled at by my own kid for saying fuck too loud the other day. (laughs) That is very Roy Kentish, I have uh, to say. Yeah. Know that self. Uh, whereas I am, of course, Nate. Really? Yeah, I'm evil, and as I get more evil, my hair gets more white. Oh, you're evil as fuck. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Extra salt and pepper. No one's. No one's going. Okay. Well, that's that's fine. Uh, do I have to f- pick who who Edie is on Ted Lasso? Because I don't think I can do that. Yeah. No, actually, you do now that you've said that. You do now have to do it. I, I wasn't going to ask you. Here's a pro tip: make her someone hot. No, I I'm well aware. I'm well. I'm like she's clearly <laughs> Jamie Tart. No, I'm I'm of course. Uh, yes. Going to choose Sam. Um, I figured would be safe. I don't know. I have to ask her which oh, Ted Lasso right. character she thinks she is. But Graham, <laughs> I I feel this is really dodging the yeah, the yeah. main issue. Sorry, and I apologize. What is the name of Bobby Briggs's best friend? Oh, I, I didn't really look it up. Oh, I thought you were going to. I thought no. no. Boo. Oh, okay. okay, so like so Ted Lasso. That, um, okay, the, yeah. the much more generous member of the team over here is now looking it up oh, well, while that's also good. going. Uh... <laughs> I just thought you said you were, and then you were tapping Mike on the Nelson. thing, and yeah, Mike Nelson. There we go. Wow, isn't that the okay. guy from Mystery <laughs> Science sure. Theater Three Thousand? Yeah. There's a wiki for everything Twin Peaks. Of course, oh, yeah. Still, of course, yeah. Love the internet. Mike Nelson. We still never watched, uh, never finished watching the return. We didn't. Where did you guys tap out? Like episode three? Uh, really early on, we only made like four episodes in I or something. I don't remember why we stopped watching it either. It was uh, just, it was literally shit happened. Yeah. We were watching and then literally shit happened and we were like, okay, we'll catch up. And that was like a year and a half ago or something. <laughs> Well, I also remember how much, um, Graham, you were kind of like, boy, I sure hope they don't lean into the, you know, wouldn't it be great if they had like a Twin Peaks that was just sort of, you know, kind of a sunny pivot? And, and of course, that is 
But yeah, that's very much not what it is. I also remember very clearly you and Matt Maxwell telling me very sincerely, do not binge watch the show Mm. because it will break your head. Yeah. You're both very emphatic about you actually have to pace yourself or you will actually go insane. I heard a lot of people saying that. I Mm -hmm. heard a lot of people. And I heard a lot of people say that about like rewatching Twin Peaks, and that was not my experience. That was a joy. Oh yeah, no, ben, the original Twin Peaks mm-hmm. been one hundred percent binge. Yeah, yeah, but no, no you, I, I would. You and Maxwell were very clear about do not binge watch the show. You will go insane. It's interesting because I do feel like wasn't that a trending Twitter topic recently? People were talking about like binge watching Twin Peaks: The Return and and more or less breaking themselves. I, I don't know. Like that it's was... been trending quite a bit lately. Why? I'm very curious. No but yeah, I... I have no idea. Yesterday, David Lynch and Joss Whedon were both trending at the same time, and I was like, I feel like television. Like this is either a gift or a horror story. <laughs> One of us is a gentle old weirdo, and the other is Joss Whedon. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's right. Whereas I was going to say one of them is a perv with horrific issues with women, and the and other yeah, one's David Lynch. Lynch. Yucka, 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 yucka. Yeah, exactly. Waka, waka, waka. Also, I got to give it up for HBO Max because nobody has talked about that Joss Whedon show, and I mean like nobody. Like I can see people. You know what I mean? Like Nevers. no one's. The Nevers, yeah, the the, the non-watchers. Like a, a crazy pivot in its last episode. Yeah, I'm sure. Whatever. So, yeah. so the Nevers was promoted as what if in Victorian times there are the X Men and they're all women. God, that's right. It's the it's the most most just made idea ever, right? Yeah. And apparently, in the last episode, they're like, but what if they're always reincarnated, and they're like immortal and. I think they're in the future. I can't remember. I just saw someone write about it and was like, no one's talking about this show. And that's good because the last episode went so off the rails. Yeah. 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 Oh, what, was that? what was that show that was, uh, it's really hard to pin down. I'm like, what's that one show where Joss Whedon's terrible? Dollhouse. 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 Yes, that's exactly yeah. it. I, yeah. I just, I, I. And Dollhouse had the Epitaph 1 pivot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I was thinking about that show the other day, and I was like, oh, fuck. Because you hate yourself? Yeah, well, what was it? I, I had a roommate at the time that was really into Dollhouse. Um, mm-hmm. And I desperately, desperately hated the show because it just bored me to tears. Um, but I kept watching it because Eliza Dushku. <laughs> I, that's honestly, I think, the, the reason I got a second season. Yeah, yeah. Because horny people were like, but Eliza Dushku. Hello, sir. How are you today? It was me. I kept that show running and I apologize. That's cool. Eliza Dushku. I remember that was when um, Ionine was getting started up. Yeah. And I and Charlie were like, this is a feminist uh, television oh, show fuck. making uh, important <laughs> points about sex workers. And we, we were like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> nah, it's not. I'm sorry. No, no. Please don't. I'm sure that take uh, has aged really nicely for everybody. Yes. I'm, I'm really curious if they're still like, no, Dollhouse is great. But definitely for at least the first season, they were like, no, no, this is a really, really like nuanced, smart show making points about sex workers. Oh, boy. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's yeah. really not. Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, Graham, I don't know if you – but like the one time that like we all had dinner in Annalie and – 
and I got in this extended argument about Doomsday, which she also thought was a good movie and she was also wrong about, was really <laughs> the point where I was like, oh, this person's opinions are not to be trusted about anything. Wait, do, Doomsday, so I don't know the movie Doomsday. Oh, it's it's by, was it Neil Marshall, the guy who did like Dog Soldiers? It is by and... Neil Marshall. I'm looking up right now. Well, that's, that's great. The film takes place in the future in Scotland which has been quarantined because of a deadly virus. Here's a film I'm not going to watch. Um, when the virus is found in London, political leaders send a team led by Major Eden Sinclair, Jesus yeah. Christ, to yeah. Scotland to find a possible cure. Sinclair's team runs into two types of survivors, marauders and medieval knights. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Zooms <laughs> was conceived by Marshall based on the idea of futuristic soldiers facing medieval knights. Boof. Boof. Yeah, it's... Um, it's, it's, it's it started um, Bob Hoskins and Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is what it Kate Beckinsale? Who's playing the... Oh, no, it's... What's her name? Rona right. Mitra is playing uh, Eden Sinclair. Yeah, that's right. Who was inspired, according to Wikipedia, by the character Snake Plissken. Well, see, that's it. It's Escape from New York meets Road Warrior meets Lady Hawk. So you would think <laughs> that, like... That's probably a big warning sign, anyway. But I was like, "Yeah, I'll go see it." And then that's, it was, it was just one hundred. This is one hundred percent unleashed shit. Like that's oh, yeah. why she loves it. Like of course, your your description of it there is is as close to her ideal movie as I think you can get. Yeah, probably, probably. So anyway, yes, that looks um, terrible, and I I really hope that Chloe doesn't make us watch it. I'm gonna. Yeah, I was gonna say. It's, it's, <laughs> Oh, you know what else I'm gonna make us watch uh, soon? Because um, I'm being I'm being featured in another book anthology. Ooh, writing about movies. Um, I'm gonna make us watch Tank Girl again. Oh, again. My. Talking about terrible Malcolm McDowell films. Mm, yeah, buddy. I'm so excited. It's Malcolm McDowell like stabbing some dude with a water bottle and then being like, "Fuck yeah, delicious." And then putting Lori Petty in a tube. <laughs> And me just sitting there going, oh, my God, basement's flooded. Like. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's. I got to tell you, that is that was just the uh, Sunday, uh, ch- the cherry on the Sunday of terrifying imagery. We could only just, if we then watch Star Trek Generations, yep. where Machado basically plays the same character, but this time he's up against very fat Captain Kirk. Yeah. I mean, but see, isn't this, I mean. Mademoiselle basically started playing the same character, like, for, like, 30 years. Well, but, I mean, like, isn't he in the triple digits for, like, terrible films? Like, you you could be, you could be watching, you could have a Malcolm McDowell terrible film-a-thon, and it, it would do it for days. Yeah. You know right, seriously. This boy in the entire world in the 70s, though, so I'm willing to forgive him for basically everything. Also, Malcolm McDowell is, like, one succession away from everyone saying he's the greatest actor ever. Pretty much, yeah. You know, like, everyone's like, Brian Cox is so great for getting Brian Cox is in so many shitty films. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. But he is great in Succession because Succession <laughs> is a, a gift that keeps giving. Yeah, that, that, that is 100% true. Oh, my God, we're only through, because once we finished Ted Lasso, it was like, okay, let's get into Succession, and we just finished season, episode two of season three and holy shit those first two seasons those first two episodes in what the season was which i think fuck. was four it might be three or four i, I think it's five i think it's five. Oh, really was yeah. fucking great yeah like was really fucking good it's just it's a very well written show 
Oh, extraordinarily. So. I saw someone make fun of it this week on Twitter in a way that is entirely accurate, which is Succession fans are all like, next week's episode is going to be the most exciting thing ever. And then it's literally four people in a room talking about if they're going to sign a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> entirely true, but also it's great. Yeah, yeah, it's fabulous. That show is extraordinary. And, and Brian Cox was in a lot of shit, right? And so Malcolm Adele, again, you give Malcolm Adele one of those, you know, give him an HBO show, and people all of a sudden would just be like, yeah, I don't know what happens between, I mean, what, Oh Lucky Man? And, oh, yeah. and yeah, you know, if earlier, though. Yeah. Right, all of, between, like, Oh Lucky Man and, you know, 2022. But he's the greatest actor. Well, yeah, but, I mean, I mean, that's Malcolm McDowell is a pretty good actor. I just think that, that I mean, that's clear it's just he's he is in no way a sign that you're getting a good movie in fact it's it's pretty much the opposite yeah Yeah. so you know but i mean like you said if you put him in the right show and all of a sudden he's great but i mean that does not mean that we're going to go rewatch the halloween movies with him in it because that would be just i just discovered right now when i was looking him up that he did the halloween remake yeah, yeah. Is it wait? Is he? Is it the Rob Zombie one? Is that the one that he was? It in? is the Rob Zombie one. Yeah. Huh. You know, I kind of want to re-see that first one, and I never saw the second one, and I kind of want to see. I, it I'm also well. looking up. He's also in Tom. Jer- Tom and Jerry meet Sherlock Holmes because of course he is. Yeah. Uh He's in the artist. He's in Silent Hill Revelation 3D because of course he is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you can't he's count his Sco- video game. Scooby Doo Moon Monster Madness as. Sly Baron. I don't know why I find that <laughs> quite so funny. He's in something called Pinocchio 3000 as oh, wow. Scamboli. Oh, uh, that's great. He's in uh, the first nine and a half weeks. I really hope that's a prequel to it. Is. It's a prequel to nine and a half weeks. That's so great. Oh, that's um, awesome. He uh, is in... He is in Time Girl. There he is from 1995. Oh, Generations came before that. We'd have to watch Generations first. Um, he's in The Player as himself, apparently. He's in Blue Thunder. Wow, we all oh. stopped making films for like four years. That's weird. I mean, not necessarily. I mean, you know. <laughs> if I was Malcolm <laughs> McDowell, I think somewhere around Blue Thunder, he'd be like, okay, I'm I'm going to tap out. And then, you know, all he really needs is, like, one or two failed marriages. And he's like, back on track. Star Trek. (laughs) Can't wait. Oh, man. He's also in a metric shit ton of television, including Biker Mice from Mars, where he played, and I quote, Dominic T. Stilton. Oh, that's great. Well, because it's a cartoon. Uh, You know, so that's... Really? Biker Mice from Mars is a cartoon? Just saying, it... I mean, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had... Oh he's at a British person. In South Park. Spectacular. Uh, he's also in The Magic School Bus as Mr. McLean. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, I made Graham watch Hackers again recently, if that's any... If we're, if we're talking oh, about... Oh, boy, talking about bad and horny. Um, so, yeah. yeah. That, that was 100% her vibe, even for rewatching. Oh, my God, so much. It's just so... It's so awful, and I don't know why anybody has ever allowed Angelina Jolie to grow her hair out. Oh, for sure. Because it's vibe, 
And Johnny Lee Miller, that was like what, maybe two years after train spotting. So he still had kind of the sickly, like awful sick boy look from there, from that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was just, and Matthew Lillard. Oh, it's. Yeah. It Can we just, talk about your love for Matthew Lillard? I really love Matthew Lillard a lot. I got to say, that is, that, see, that is the, um, He's that's like the Malcolm McDowell. Like that, M- Matthew Lillard made so Are many we, terrible and movies. Malcolm McDowell of, of like of, Generation Whatever. I think so. I think I think there's a case to be made for it because let me tell you, it is impossible to read about Matthew Lillard on the internet without the phrase "horny right now" even still being like appended in the sentence. So yeah, no, it's the the the. Correct. Um, Hackers was made before Trainspotting. Nuh-uh. Yep, Hackers was in 95 and Trainspotting was 96. Oh, bless his little heart. Huh. Really? Hack huh. the planet. Oh, hack the planet. He can hack my planet. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> All of them. Beep, boop. <laughs> wow. Um, and what I, uh... The Matthew Lillard thing. I'm, I have an essay going up next week uh, on SLC Punk, of all things. If you have ever seen that, Jeff. I have not, and I know a lot of people were fans of that, so oh, I always kick myself for it's, missing it's, it. Oh, my God. I, I rewatched it for the first time in probably the better part of a decade. So basically, after for the first time since I've like come, quote-unquote, out of like my outwardly-facing punk phase. And, mm-hmm. uh, oh, it's, it holds up. It's still incredibly fucking good. Oh, that's like, great. It, it, and and all of the acting in it is really incredible, and the soundtrack is fucking great. And I, I just looked up Matthew Lillard's Wikipedia, because yeah. of course they did. After high school, Lillard was co-host of a short-lived TV show called Skate TV. That's SK numeral 8 yeah. TV. And afterwards, was hired as an extra in Ghoulies 3, Ghoulies Go to College. Then, and you know he's he's John Waters by comedy serial mom. Yeah, John Waters yeah. made that happen. Of course, yeah. you know that. What am I saying? Serial mom's fucking great. He's in Twin Peaks: The Return. He's really he good in it. Peaks in the Return. Yeah, yep. He's yeah, yeah. he's in everything. He's also in Wing Commander from 1999 with Malcolm McDowell. Oh, the yes. Crossover. Oh, the yeah. crossover. <laughs> I love yep. it when it comes together. Yeah, maybe you can see their life as is like swap place before a terrified uh, Freddie Prince Jr.'s eyes or whatever. <laughs> also, he's in Scream Four. Was like, he in Scream Four? Wait, yeah, he was in one he and two, and then he's one of the people at the Stabathon, but he's uncredited. Oh, that's great. He also, uh, according to Wikipedia, has basically been making his living doing Scooby Doo. Oh yeah, he does a great Shaggy. He oh, has man. basically done, in terms of movies, has basically only done Scooby-Doo since 2014. Poof. Yeah, Apart from, he's also in He's All That as the principal. The Netflix. Well, because they had to bring all those people back yeah. for He's All That, I'm sure. So. That's that's amazing. Also, in Scooby-Doo, Where Are You Now, which is a CW special that was on this year, he mm-hmm. plays Shaggy and himself. Well, there you go. <laughs> Jeff, before before Clue goes, did I tell you about introducing the nine-year-old to the Inception horror? No. <laughs> oh, God, that's like a bad choice. Wow, so, really? 
So he loves doing trailers for the games he makes up, right? He loves to make up games and, like, we play the games. But he loves to act out the trailers. Of okay? course. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and this is what happens in the trailer. And he's like, in a world. And then he does his version of the Inception horn, but he didn't know where the Inception horn is. He just mm-hmm. knows that it's a thing, right? Yeah, right. From and watching I was like, all oh, it's the Inception horn. Let me look it up on YouTube. And I do, mm-hmm. and I play it for him. And he loves it the first time. But then when I started playing it after everything he would say, <laughs> he gets so mad. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now, Graham, perhaps this is... been done by cats, and he loved that one. Oh, my God. So, like, how, how, much, how much of your interaction with the kid is you gently undermining... <laughs> No, Everything no. he's trying to do. Let me let me answer your question with another very brief story. Uh, when 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 Gavin uh, when his hair starts growing out, he gets a kind of a mullet, right? And it's kind of this like dirty blonde sort of color. And he gets it, it like it, st- it get, he gets um like really long sideburns and really long in the back. The sideburns do really long, yes. don't they? And somehow like his bangs stay relatively short. But anyway, so. He starts growing, like, his hair starts growing out. He really needs a haircut. And Graham just follows him around for, like, a week saying, say Shang-a-Lang. <laughs> say Shang-a-Lang. Until he says it. And then Gavin's just walking around going, Shang-a-Lang. And has no idea why. So. I have a terrible person. It's the short version of this story. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you trying to, are you still recovering from this? <laughs> Like just like yelling, like following behind him as he's walking away. Say shangling. <laughs> I like find out that everyone who knows who the bass city rollers are finds that funny. I as as a bass city rollers quote unquote fan, I um I I think that is amazingly funny. But <laughs> what a weird! I mean, that's practically. Grandpa Simpson esque levels of teasing a child. That's really kind of impressive, Graham. Uh, and a little horrifying. To be fair, I mean the kid's gonna. The kid is. He's nine, and he's basically set to be any seventy year old at this point because we're like, what kind of cereal do you want? Raisin Bran. What kind of music do you want to listen to? Come and get your love by Redbone. <laughs> like. <laughs> That's fine. That's fair. That's perfectly understandable. <laughs> Jeff, we're now going to take a brief break. Yes. Uh, because uh, Chloe has to go, but also I should probably take dogs out of the back because they're... If you, anyone has heard any whining in the last hour and a half, it's because we also have two dogs in here who have uh, been making sounds as in, like, I really need to pee for oh, dear. at least an hour. Mm. Well, Chloe... Thank you so much for for being on the show and um, sharing amazing anecdotes uh, and and um, you know um, talking the movies. Maybe next time we have you on, we can actually get you to uh, talk of the comics. Well, so. here's here's the thing. You know how you and me are doing Strontium Dog for the next drop? Yeah. When I told her that, she told me to go fuck I'm myself. The, I'm <laughs> <laughs> because she loves Strontium Dog a lot. So do not be surprised if she shows up. <laughs> if that's okay, I don't want to step where I'm not supposed to. But, like, 
I can try and talk dread as much as possible, but there's so much of it that I want to cry. But mm-hmm. I can talk about Strontium Dog forever. Mm. Okay, well, um, yes, that sounds good to me. That being said, um, let's get back to you on that because I had some scheduling stuff I wanted to talk about to Graham yes about yes no we I, I know that but also uh, Jeff Strontium Dog is a 400 pages long <gasps> Jesus <laughs> yeah I just looked that up before we got in the call anyway uh, let's let's take a break for like 10 minutes and then yeah. uh, come back and you and me can a record a little bit more and be talk scheduling stuff okay sounds so fabulous so can we do that in like 10 minutes yeah 10 minutes is great I'll give you guys okay. I'll give you a call back in 10 Thank you. Talk to okay. And we're back. And I'm on. I'm on headset now. So oh. I'll say. Yeah, my goodness. Uh, we, we have. Uh, I don't know how you're going to edit all this together. <laughs> Are you going to have just a little tune where I'm like, "Time to take a break." As we say goodbye, it's going. Do, 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 do. And then I'm like, yeah. "I'm on headset." <laughs> <laughs> well, part of me was thinking, you know, that was an hour and a half. We could just wrap it up and then, um, you know. Uh, move on to scheduling and things, you know. I mean, it's up to you. Is that what you want to do? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. There's much more I have. St- you know, I can certainly talk about good old comic books, but I think we're sort of news free, right? Or is there stuff that I've forgotten about I, already? I honestly can't think about. I can't think of any big news stories in this last week. Yeah. So I mean, you know, maybe we maybe we wrap it up and then you know, just tell everyone to tune in. Uh, you, you mean I don't get to tell everyone that I reread all of the Brian Michael Bendis Superman run? <sighs> okay, let's hear it. Tell me about <laughs> it. We're doing I this. Loved I loved it. What? Really? Why? I, so, as you know, I've been like working through, you know, like runs of comics. Yes. Right. And uh, after I after we talked about it in the last podcast, I was like, you know, what's what's next? Like what am I, what am I going to read? You know, the full runs of. And I was like, I should I should do Rorschach or you know Strange Adventures or something. I should do one of those. And instead, part of my brain was like, no, do all of the Brian Michael Bandis Brian Michael Bendis Superman. Mm-hmm. Do Man of Steel. Do his Superman. Do his action comics. Do his Leviathan miniseries. Right. And do uh, Young Justice and wow. Naomi. Mm-hmm. Do like the whole fucking shebang, right? And I'm here to tell you that I loved it. Wow, for real, hmm. it is uh, very much an acquired taste. The Superman is very much an acquired taste, mm-hmm. right? It's almost the most Bendisy comic. You know, if if Ultimate Spider-Man is the most Bendis superhero comic that he's done. The one that sort of has all of his DNA in it. I honestly think his Superman comes a really close second. Mm. Uh, And like Ultimate Spider-Man, it works there. Hmm. You know, I think his Ultimate Spider-Man run is actually kind of great. Mm -hmm. And I think that Superman is kind of great. Mm -hmm. Um, He... What works for me is... Well, firstly, what works for me is when you read the whole thing, you realize that while there are some missteps, especially like in the cross continuity between the books, like it's so weird that one guy was writing it and still can't get events right. Mm-hmm. 
Um, for example, his Superman run begins with Superman looking for Lois and John because they've disappeared. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know where they are. Right. And at the end of that storyline, <laughs> they're already back on Earth and he's met them. Because that happens in Action Comics, which is being published simultaneously. But the Action Comics story can't happen in the middle of the Superman story. Wow. Right? Oof. Right. And it's, it's stuff like that, which is weird at the start. Um, and towards the end, there's a lot of, well, when is the story actually happening? Because, you know, in action is where the Invisible Mafia storyline unfolds. But that's referenced in issues of the Superman comic. But again, there's no time for the Superman stuff to happen in between the pages of the action comic run. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. They, they, that happens more than once. And it's weird. It, it's like the 70s when there was like Spy- Amazing Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man. And it was as if the two books were happening simultaneously. Like right. you'd have the start of Spectacular Spider-Man and Spider-Man say things like, I know I just swung away from a battle with the Jackal. Mm-hmm. But now we get to this. And then next issue of Amazing Spider-Man, he'd been like, still looking after looking for the Jackal after I just fought with Cyclone. Yes, right, yeah. It was as if he was approaching them like that, mm-hmm. but because of the way his Superman stories are plotted, there's not actually space for him to have these other adventures at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, when the, in the, the first arc of Superman, the Earth gets transported to the Phantom Zone. Right. Which doesn't get referenced in action, so obviously it doesn't happen at the same time, but it also has to happen at the same time, because that's where he sees, that's where he meets Lois again. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know, it's awkward, shall we say? Um, but no, there's there's stuff in there that really works and is is interesting and looks at Superman in a way that is both different from the way that other creators tend to write Superman, mm-hmm. but also seems to work for Superman. Bendis approaches Superman pretty simplistically he's just a nice guy who is trying to do his best and loves his family and the people around Superman in Ben's run either get that or they don't mm-hmm. and it's that simple mm-hmm. and honestly I think that works for Superman comic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and the people who get it can't they don't have to have as simple a moral code as he does like mm-hmm. lois clearly doesn't right mm-hmm. but she accepts it from him mm-hmm. same with perry white same with jimmy olsen like they are they're superman's friends they're superman's pals and part of that is because they just accept him for who he is mm-hmm. you know and that's that's superman to me like, mm-hmm. that makes sense, both as a way of approaching Superman, but also as a way of approaching people around him. Mm-hmm. Other people will be suspicious of him, but the people he is drawn to, the people who are his friends, accept him on his own terms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. You know, I like that Bendis is clearly, clearly enamored with particular things about the DC Universe. Mm-hmm. They just returns to over and over again in really short order. In both um, 
Young Justice and Superman. There is a the characters end up on Earth three, which is the morally flipped Earth, and everyone's a shit. Mm-hmm. And how do the superheroes deal with being trapped on a planet where everyone's a shit? Mm-hmm. Let's say about them, and it's basically the same plot, and he does it in both books. Mm-hmm. And it's it's on one hand utterly repetitive, but when you're reading all of them almost as like one particular story over a compressed period of time, mm-hmm. it feels like an intentional callback as opposed to just repeating himself. Mm. You know, and he's writing them in this compressed period of time as well. Like mm-hmm. all of these books within like three years of each other. Right. And like his Superman books alone, just Superman action and Man of Steel, that's 65 comics. Poof. In like two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it works. I like... Uh, he introduced the fire chief as a sort of confidant. Uh, right. She works as a confidant, but also I like that her name is Melody Moore because it's Lois Lane, but one letter up. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I like what he does with her before the end of the run, so no one else can use her. I like that he also, for that matter, cleans up after himself with the Invisible Mafia in a way that no one else can use them. You know, he he introduces things and then resolves them. And in some cases, the resolution is kind of bullshit. I was about to say, that's the part where I'm like, what? No. Do you remember the end of the Invisible Mafia storyline or not? Did you read the end of the Invisible Mafia storyline? I think I had to tap out because I swear to God, it got to the point where it was like the Invisible Mafia were like, now it's time for us to really take the battle to the streets or something. And I was like, "What? What do you mean? Like you haven't done anything? I, I don't know. I, I, Graham. So, I have, so the, yeah. the reveal. Mm-hmm. The reveal is this: mm-hmm. the woman behind the Invisible Mafia is from an alternate Earth, mm. and the reason that she's trying to do everything behind the scenes is basically to to utterly stay off the radar of anyone who could discover she's on from an alternate Earth. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and. Kind of amazingly, hilariously, that arc ends when she and her uh, her cohort, her her compatriot, who is the villain from Young Justice, mm. who is also from another Earth, which by the way is Earth Three, the evil Earth that mm. characters previously visited, literally just fuck off to another Earth. Hmm. They're literally just like, yeah, this Earth's done. We're done with this Earth. This Earth is ruined. Okay, we're done. I just leave. And that's it. Hmm. They just fuck off. Which I kind of love. Man. Um, I also like that the Red Cloud, who is the, the super villain of the action comics run, you right. know, the, the Invisible Enforcer, mm-hmm. um, is basically cut loose from the Invisible Mafia because she stopped being invisible. Mm-hmm. Because right. when Lex shows up, she gets powered up and she's like, I can just kill Superman. I'm, right. I'm strong enough to kill Superman now. And the boss of the Invisible Mafia is like, fuck off. Right. We literally are not taking on Superman because then he'll come and get us. Mm-hmm. If you do this, you're on your own. And she does it. And then the Invisible Mafia boss is like, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. I wasn't joking. Mm-hmm. We're fucking done. <laughs> like, that is, a, that is a stupid thing to do. You could have had it all, but you got greedy. Mm-hmm. We're done. Um, yeah, I, I like it. There's, it's funny to me that 
Bendis, uh, his his the Rogal Czar, who was the villain yes. in Man of Steel and everything. Mm-hmm. That's a weird plot, um, and also sort of tidies up a weird plot that he inherited, which is Jor-El is still alive. Yeah. Uh, and I I think that he does it relatively gracefully, but also in such a way that I quite believe that no one actually told him that he had to be edited. <laughs> that no one told him he had to be edited? You mean he thought yeah. he would be able to do whatever he wanted? Uh, no, that he was... No one stepped in to say, you've missed at least two steps here. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to uh, me, yeah. Because there are... So jor comes down, he's like, uh, John, come with me. I will show you... Like, we'll have a summer in space, basically. And jor loses him, for all intents purposes. Mm-hmm. And he ends. Jonathan ends up in Earth three and grows up, and that's why he's older. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jorel finds him, and then all of a sudden it's like, and then all the aliens were mad at Jorel, and you never find out why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You basically just characters being like, "Cause he's a dick," <laughs> and they 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 beat him, and this leads to the foundation of the United Planets, and then they're like, "Okay, but." Uh, well, one of the reasons is that Jorel created Rogalzar. Is is right. the reveal? Yeah, right. Rogalzar is is, for all intents and purposes, a Kryptonian super soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get the 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 resolution of uh, we just sent him back to Krypton in, through a time machine so that he's there when he when it gets blown up, so that he's once again killed by the destruction of Krypton, which is relatively. Uh, I'm not sure if graceful is the right word, but I it, I th- I like that resolution to the plot. Like he he that's how we write him out because you can't have Superman's dad running around forever, mm-hmm. right? And you you get to kill him on Krypton again, fine. But the everyone else in the universe is mad at him. Like it's never quite revealed if they're mad at him because he created Rogal's art because that was true all along, and yet felt like they all of a sudden got mad at him. Mm-hmm. You know, while John, it's it's there's there's things like I said where there's steps that are kind of missed out. There's things that he he doesn't fully explain. Um, in action comics, all of this stuff that ties in with Year of the Villain is a mess. But honestly, Year of the Villain was a mess. That's kind of outside of his 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 purview. Sure. But overall, like it's a relatively tight period of of you know each each uh, action comics of Superman both run like twenty issues. Mm-hmm. And they realistically tell like four arcs, five arcs, mm-hmm. and it's done relatively tightly and it's done relatively smartly. Huh. I, I I dug it. I I dug it much more reading them on mass than I did on a monthly basis as well. Hmm. Wow. Ah, Graham. Ah, that's oof. Okay. I it's like part of me is like I should sit down and I guess read it that way. I guess. No, but well, like, why should you? Because you didn't really like it. But, but right, and you're not like me, where all of a sudden you'd be like, "I want to read something I didn't really like, but maybe I liked." Well, but no, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, weirdly enough, I would say that Bendis's Superman and action stuff is one of the few things that I've read from DC relatively recently, and 
for me, it was it ended up being just too frustrating to read because I had to tap out. I had it's to tap out because it's it was a lot more coherent when you read it on on mass. Right, and that's the part that I'm sort of having trouble wrapping my brain around. But clearly, must be the case because you were actually saying things about it that I would not otherwise believe. I guess, and so I'm like, oh, okay, well, I I will either have to try it. Or, or and maybe I should because it sounds like because a lot of what I don't like about Bendis's stuff uh, is it, it you know this is the same stuff I've been saying for years he he cranks out first drafts he chooses to go for speed rather than like accuracy and it's years in and it's pretty slapdash and I feel like he's learned a lot of bad shortcuts. And you're making it sound like that is not the case if you read it all together. And I'm like, I mean, it's it's you know there are definitely things like I said where it feels like he could have had a second draft, or honestly, where someone else should have stepped in. You know, but ultimately, again, it's like two and a half years worth of comics, uh-huh. so he doesn't he doesn't get that much time to completely fuck himself up. Right. Like his Avengers run in the end is a fucking mess because mm-hmm. it goes on way too long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like his Avengers run is is you know, ultimately a disaster. Hmm. But yeah, his right. but his Superman run, he doesn't get the chance to do that. It's a shame. I actually, uh, you know, reading it like this, I was like, I wish he'd gone on for another couple of years. Right. But yeah. but had he, then he might have just ended up, you know, doing for that what he did for his Avengers run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What so, about the, isn't there a character that he sort of, invents that is you know was supposed to be the next big sort of superman threat or menace or whatever the magic guy from magic planet or whatever oh sindar yeah sindar Mm -hmm. yeah and that's um that's done over and done within like four issues that's the last run in superman that's the last arc in superman Mm mm-hmm and it is like just like Rogalzar was like, oh, what is the secret of Rogalzar? And then ultimately, the secret is like he kind of fucks off after a while, and then comes back and then fucks off. Um, Sindar is is massively oversold in that first issue, right? But where that arc goes, I think, is actually relatively good. Hmm. Okay, mostly because the the reveal is like we the, the alien planet made him to make their own Superman, but he got drunk off power. Right, so it, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, a cautionary tale. It's a Superman cautionary tale, of which, let's be honest, there have been many. Yes, yes, certainly, certainly. Huh? Wow. Well, that is, um, that's a thing. <laughs> it, it is a thing. And, well, and also, it's one of those things where when you have DC Universe, you can just do that. Yeah. Right? It's, no. Totally. It's same with Marvel. Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. You could just be like, I fancy reading. Whatever. I fancy reading all of Ed Brubaker's Captain America. You right. can. Yeah. It's all there. If you if you get if you can find it to start it, then you can kind of keep going with it. Yeah. And with um, Marvel Unlimited's app, sometimes that that's easier said than done. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um hmm. You know, it's funny. I of course read the quote unquote latest issue of Rorschach, uh, which is that hit DC uh, 
DCUI just this week. I think it was issue nine or something. Maybe it's issue eight. I uh, I I am kind of upset by how much I really have been enjoying that comic. <laughs> it really is just fucking brutally unfair. Like I'm like I like just about every part of this except the kind of the socially re- reprehensible part of it. But you're like far from like the Shack. But that's yeah, else. right. I really like it's issue eight. I just looked it up. Oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, issue eight, and um, yeah, it's I think just Shack ends up being really fucking strong. It's I I have really the parts where you are like oh boy the the this goes to some places you know um, I really love like that Frank Miller episode issue which was issue seven I'm like this is really good and then the follow up issue to it which was issue eight is um, is, is issue eight the one where it's the three different people telling yeah. their story yep yeah. yeah and it's just it's really I'm like man that's just so I what I like but it's that it's the stuff that I like it's it's I, really I, I, formalist, but serves the story, and yes, you were going to say? I was going to say, I'm going to close the loop on this by saying I also caught up on Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow this week, which oh, is the yeah. Tom King Supergirls. Uh, oh my thing. gosh, Martin Gray has been waiting for us to talk about this for months. So I really like that book. You do. And I'm surprised, because mm-hmm. I read the first couple of issues and thought it was fine, mm-hmm. and it's on now in issue five. And I was like, I, I don't, I like, I don't think I've read it since then. And reading issues one through five, like in one sitting, like I did, mm-hmm. it's great. And in a weird way, it feels like the most Alan Moore thing Tom King's done in a long time. Hmm. But it's specifically the Swamp Thing in Space arc. Mm. Hmm. It's it's really, like, it's really strong. And also it helps that, like, Bill Quisevely's art is just... Oh, yeah. Blindingly good. Mm-hmm. Like, shockingly good. Mm-hmm. But, um... I think what didn't work for me in the first couple of issues about the Supergirl portrayal mm-hmm. is almost immediately put to bed in issue three uh, in a way that won me over very, very quickly. Hmm. Because in, in rereading the first two issues, I was like, I like uh, every character apart from Supergirl in this book. And then in issue three, I was like, okay, this is Supergirl after all. Hmm. I I get this. I understand hmm. this now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like that in a weird way, like Rorschach, it's not a book about Supergirl. Mm-hmm. It's a book about other people interacting with Supergirl. Mm-hmm. You know, because Rorschach is is not a book about Rorschach. Oh yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I by. I mean, it's explicitly not a book about Rorschach from Watchmen because he doesn't appear in it at all. Mm-hmm. But it's not a book about the person who is pretending to be Rorschach either. Mm-hmm. Right? Rorschach refers to the mystery itself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the idea of like what, what – looking at the same information, what do various people see in this? Yes, Like the exactly. comic is a Rorschach test. Exactly. Um, and we'll get more so as you keep reading, Jeff. Mm. Um, but – but Supergirl feels very much like it's a book about people's ideas about Supergirl and about what Supergirl brings out of other people. Hmm. And I really like it. Talk, to continue my Tom King praise, just one more bit and do the thing that everyone hates. I did have a chance to read a comp of the second issue of Human Target and issue one wasn't a fluke, it turns out. Hmm. 
Greg Smallwood's art in that book is shockingly good. Mm. Just every single page is mind-blowingly good. Mm. And King just outright writing a PI story Mm -hmm. is a lot of fun. Like, Rorschach is ostensibly a detective story, Mm -hmm. but it's about lots of other things. Yes, absolutely. And like you said, the book is about how people interpret ambiguous things, um, to to put it mildly. Yeah, everything is about how people see the situations around them and how they missee it. And it's... It's it's really good. Rorschach's like almost annoyingly good, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's kind of frustrating because part of me is like, if he had figured out a way to kind of Pax Americana it or something, I think it might have gotten more. If he just called it like the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think I think it would have been a lot easier. Kind of can't. Mm-hmm. No, I know. I... Trying to work out where you are in issue eight. Mm-hmm. Like, you've gotten into, quote-unquote, the origin of the girl by this point, right? Yes, exactly. No, 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 no. I'm very so, like, aware, So yeah. you know that, like, the squid is very important. Exactly. Like, the end of Watchmen is, is more important than Rorschach is. Yes. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To the series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, but it's true, because there, there are many ways in which you're like, if he, if he had somehow worked out to do this and it not be connected to Watchmen, I think everyone who was like, well, he's a fucking scab, right. would have instead been like, this is this is different from the other Tom King stuff I've read. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And I think you, you know? and I have talked about how much it and uh, Strange Adventures, Adventures yeah, feel... Our, our dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. feels like they're both telling different versions of a similar story. Yeah. It's a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like both of them are very much about people lying to themselves and uh, trying to deal with trauma. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean... Where where, are Strange Adventures in in DC Universe at this point? Is it, like, issue nine as well? It is... Well, it's probably... I'm hoping it will have issue ten out soon uh, because what happened was I read issue eight, like, I don't know, like two or three months ago, and I was like, where's the latest issue? Scheduling did go weird for that book, though. Yeah, so, and I think... They're in issue 10, Jeff. um, Oh, no, they're not. They're in issue 9, but there's a director's cut. That's why it says 10 issues. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So issue issue 9 is up there. Yeah, and that's Um, the issue that I read today, along with the reread of 8, so... um, But, um, yeah, the the, the end... uh, Yeah, the end of both is is really great, actually. mm -hmm. In both of them, actually, sick the ending. Mm. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm... Uh, restless. I'm. I'm really intrigued uh, to read to read both of them. Like I'm kind of hoping because I think we mentioned. Like I'm sort of thinking that I'll get the trade off. Oh man, I'm, I'm looking at the release dates for these books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, you're kind of fucked. Oh no, why? So issue nine, which just came out, was March. Okay, mm-hmm. then issue ten is May. Then issue eleven is July. But then issue 12 is October. Oh, fuck me. Are you serious? So you're, like, you're, six, you're six months away from the series finishing yeah. at DC Universe. God damn it. Fucking hell. That's ridiculous. Like, Rorschach is monthly. So you're you're, you're going to get the end of Rorschach uh, more or less at the same time, actually. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Boof. Boof. Um, great. Well, anyway, that's a thing. Yeah, Rorschach finished in September. So mm-hmm. Rorschach is actually going to finish first before Strange Avengers. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but it was monthly. So you're, you're, you will get Rorschach monthly. Yep. Yeah, Rorschach um, goes to uh, places that both feel inevitable and surprising. You mean after this issue that I'm at or even at the point where I'm at? Because it is. It's very... I, I, after the issue that you're at. Mm. Okay. So I've been enjoying it. Uh, let's see. Should I talk about other... Like, we should think about wrapping we probably up sometime soon. Wrapping up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me see if there's anything um, I want to give okay, a yeah, shout what, out to. Quickly, what else have you been reading? Uh, give me a sec. Uh, bah, bah, bah. Oh, I, weirdly enough, I have um, ended up reading more than I would have expected off of Comixology Unlimited. Because, of course, the second issue of half of Snyder's books, which is to say We Have Demons and clear came out uh over the last two weeks and i actually really i mean the art on clear is gorgeous it's amazing yeah. and then i don't know we have demons i'm very like about but i also read the first two issues of the all-nighter um which i should have made a point to look up the artist because of course chip zadarsky does writes it and the drawing is the same person that did after lift with him Oh, it's Jacob something, isn't it? Uh, Jason Liu. Jason, Jason Liu. Liu. Yeah. So I kind of had that moment where I was like, and I've got a few other books that I have downloaded that I've yet to read, but I'm I'm kind of like, holy shit, I'm actually reading the new material on Comixology Unlimited and between it and like the manga collections and the discount that I get, I'm like, it's kind of turning into a pretty good deal. Like, I kind of had that moment of, like, shit, I've read, like, what, four or five comics, you know, just this month, and that would more than justify if I paid, like, two ninety nine, three ninety nine to read them, you know? This yeah. is this is well worth my $6 a month. So I was, I was kind of shocked by that. I had a very Graham-like urge to... um try and read a bunch of stuff of something that I was like, hmm, how did that turn out? What did I think about it? So Outcast by Kirkman and Azaketa. Uh, oh, yeah. I picked up a couple of the volumes off of Hoopla, um, not all of them, and I just finished reading. I basically plowed through the first two volumes in the last two days. Uh, and I think, honestly, those were all books that I had like outcast i'd been reading um monthly um and it uh, and then dropped off i think not too long after the conclusion of of where i got to with volume two of the trade i'm looking forward to reading more of it of course i love paul azaketa's art but i thought that the story was sludgy and rereading it in trade although i I think that's probably still true. I also think that Kirkman's trying to do things. And, and also I think Azaketa just does a wonderful job. Like it, the book's got a really great tone, I suppose. Um, so enjoying that. Uh, I caught the wrap up of six sidekicks of trigger Keaton. The final issue of that came out. That was unsurprisingly 
wonderful. Uh, Sweat and Soap Volume 10, also fucking great. Um, kind of an interesting volume um, because the previous volume of Sweat and Soap introduced, essentially brought back one of the bullies um, of one of the protagonists from their childhood. Uh, and then watching the protagonist more or less try and deal with that by shutting down and, you know, all but accidentally destroying her relationship. It was just really great reading, really, really strong. Like, um, but then is sort of resolved halfway through the volume. And then it's kind of like, Hey, let's get married. Time for marriage. Happy times. Um, and I wasn't complaining, but, uh, but it, it, it was like a kind of, um, interesting to read a, a manga where it was sort of, I was like, wow, I, <clears throat> this is just positive vibes for the next 50 or 60 pages, which is fine. It just sort of was kind of atonally out of sync with the really well done and sort of grounded um, stakes. Uh, I had picked up and had started Catwoman Lonely City, put it down and walked away. And today I picked it up um, and read the rest of it and really loved it. So um, I'm, I really enjoyed that book. And, and of course, uh, The Nice House on the Lake issue six was out. And that's another book that I think will probably read fantastically as a trade. Um, I, I'm enjoying each issue in part because the art is just, it's just amazing. Humanly good. Yeah. Fucking phenomenal. Um, so I can, you know, it's basically like, yeah, I'll watch those characters read the phone book. And I kind of feel like I have been. So, um, so I still like it, but at the same time, I'm like, "Mm, eh, mm, eh." and then finally, I think, um, I'm sort of relieved that, that, uh, Chloe was not on the phone, uh, on the call for the rest of this for me to admit that I, I've read like the next two volumes of, Creature Girls, a hand-on field journal in another world, um, which is basically about a dude who goes to another planet, um, you know, and that sort of isekai thing. And because it's a fantasy setting slash medieval world, they don't really have any modern technology. And he more or less sets himself up as the... um, uh, he he wants to be the 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 creature girl harem king, um, and at the same time goes about getting that by introducing some really basic elements of technology, whether that's like solar power or whatever um, physics. It's surprisingly educational, um, and so is more than and and honestly. The challenge in volume, the end, middle of volume two and throughout volume three is trying to figure out if the, all the horny se- sequences are actually what the author is interested in at all. Cause he usually lays down lots of, um, captions talking about like 
designing water wheels and things like that. Like, he's clearly having the time of his life talking about, like, yes, so if you get thrown into another world, the first thing you have to do is grab two stones and start whacking them together. Because once you've got sharp stones, (laughs) brother, you've got a party. And I find that part really fascinating and really fun. And then they throw in copious amounts of, like, creature girl nudity so you know it's it's a it is a weird fucking manga but really really well done for what it is i think i've been reading it enjoying it um and that's it that's my overview i think that's that's about everything that i i have to talk about to any extent other than gunslinger spawn number one which should really be its own con episode conversation so we'll save that for another time yeah Let's save that for the future because I I want to talk about I want to talk about the spawn things in general because mm, really? the scorch just coming out soon. Jeff, oh, I got an email on Friday saying the this is the the subject line of the email. You ready? The year of spawn continues with Todd McFarlane's first ever superhero team book: colon, The Scorched. That's the subject line of the email. <laughs> <laughs> and and what's it about? The, <laughs> the Scorched comic series, Todd McFarlane's... I'm just reading. The Scorched comic series, Todd McFarlane's highly anticipated first ever superhero team book, team book even, is next on deck in the year of Spawn. It follows his three record-breaking new comic title releases in 2021. McFarlane's chosen creative team for the Scorched series is the top creative team, with writer Sean Lewis and artist Steven Segovia and Paolo Sequeira. The Scorched issue one is the first all-new issue of McFarlane's superhero team book. After 30 years of the regular monthly spawn book, the Scorch gathers together the best characters for three decades and puts them together into one title. This is literally, this is how how it's written. I feel like it might have been written by a computer. The first issue's initial characters in the Scorched issue one, that's what it says. (laughs) The first issue's initial characters in the Scorched issue one Mm -hmm. will include... Reaper, Spawn, Redeemer, Gunslinger, Medieval Spawn, She Spawn, and many more waiting in the wings. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus God. There Sp- will be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine covers. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the first cover is by someone called, and I quote, Puppeteer Lee. Oh. Do you know who Puppeteer Lee is? I'm tempted to bluff my way through this. But no. No. I'm assuming that Puppeteer that's... Lee. Brett Booth does a cover. Greg Capullo does a cover. Tom McFarland does a cover. Don Aguilo does a cover. Mark Sylvestri does a cover. Ryan Stegman does a cover. Then there's a, a, a 1 in 50 copy incentive sketch by Greg Capullo. And then there's a 1 in 250 copy incentive McFarland's signature. Ooh la la. Yeah, I think Gunslinger Spawn might have actually had a Greg uh, Greg Capullo. Might have actually had a Donny Cates cover. Like Donny Cates inked by McFarlane. Uh, Amazing. Um, Yeah, yeah, but we should should do uh, a proper proper investigation. (laughs) God help us all, people. God help us all. To the current state of the Spawn Spawniverse. Indeed, the Spawniverse. Uh, yes. Well, hmm. I can't wait, he says. <laughs> yes, you can't wait. 
Who can? That's not this. That's not this episode, though. Uh, it might be next episode. Who knows? We are off next week. Uh, we're we're taking Thanksgiving weekend off. Yep. Uh, um, but we're back the week after that. Mm. We're back. Are we not? Okay. Mm. I don't know when we're back because Jeff's going to do some sort of scheduling nonsense on me. I can tell. It's pretty bad. It's some pretty oh, bad really? scheduling okay. nonsense. So yeah. We'll be back when we're back. Is yeah. What I can tell you. What not? Uh, <laughs> Jeff would have quite a conversation with me. I can tell. <laughs> totally um, true yep oh god uh yeah so we are not back next week i can tell you that much and then we shall see yes it's it's what we're talking about uh hopefully we'll be on between now and christmas <laughs> again i'll wait and see what this conversation is happening with jeff <laughs> um until then i will say that we have uh show notes for this up at waitwhatpodcast.com we have a twitter account at waitwhatpodcast jeff has a twitter account at lazy bastard at l-a-z-y-b-a-s-t-i-d and i have a twitter account at graham m at g-r-a-e-m-e-m uh, and we are a patreon supporter podcast so jeff is going to talk right now with his mouth yes i am forming shapes with my mouth and breath hello everyone <laughs> I was like, wow, I could really drag that out for a long time. Uh, so it's going to be a certain uh, logistical challenge for us to get uh, three episodes in the can and two next month in December. But we're going to figure out how. And part of that is because we so appreciate how much um, you guys give back to us i guess for listening um and putting up with all of our ridiculous nonsense and sharing your own um nonsense and uh labors of love and valued theories um and all the rest of the pop culture ephemera that um graham and i it must be obvious really truly uh do love as does chloe um, which is why she's such a such a great match every time she um, she stops by the show. Um, I should give a big shout out to the people at Patreon because you guys not only support us with uh, your ears, you also throw us a little bit of your hard-earned dosh, and that does indeed um, keep us inspired and, if nothing else, keep us uh, committed. Man, we are committed to this three-episode-a-month schedule. Um, which would have been two episodes a month if it had been for the patrons, uh, the fine patrons at Patreon hitting a special stretch level. And it's been years and years and years of three months, uh, three episodes a month where I would be shocked if we actually have ever broken that covenant, um, until now. Uh, all of which is to say, Special thanks to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for continuing support of this podcast and the galaxy. You know, she's a queen. She does it. Go, queen. Yaz. Grandma. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, everyone, to spare you any further horror, I'm just going to be like, bye! <laughs>